You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 61 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is Merete Christensen from MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And Merete is the executive associate and assistant to MAPS founder, Rick Doblin. MAPS is a non-profit research and educational organization that develops medical, legal and cultural contexts for people to benefit from the careful uses of psychedelics and marijuana. So uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. So tell a little bit about uh, yourself, who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Mareta and I work for MAPS the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And right now I'm in, uh, in the executive team um, and I'm the assistant to Rick Doblin, the executive director and founder of MAPS. Um, so what I do is I help um, coordinate all of the work that Rick is doing um, in terms of making sure that all of our studies are going as planned and um, coordinating events and outreach um, to just increase awareness of the work that MAPS is doing and help raise the money that we need to continue doing these studies. So uh, so what is MAPS, if you explain MAPS? Yeah, of course. Um, so MAPS um, was founded in 1986, and we're a nonprofit research organization. Um, what we're looking at is we're looking at specifically right now MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, and we're looking at marijuana-assisted psychotherapy um, for treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder and other disorders. Um, so specifically, um, you know, we're not just looking at those two things. We're looking at a world where psychedelics and marijuana are safely and legally available for beneficial uses and where research can happen and is happens in a scientific evaluation you know of the risk and benefits of these substances because in the last 20 years it's only been the uh, famous Rick Strassman uh, uh, like research but now maps has been able to do more research is that true Yes. Um, so we're currently in phase two of the FDA-approved clinical trials. Um, so that's phase two out of three different phases of research. So we've already conducted one round of trials in human subjects. Um, we're wrapping up the second round and we're getting ready for the third round, which is the last stage before this medication goes to the FDA as an approval uh, for a prescription treatment. And and it's it's the MDMA treatment, and and who are you? Who have you been treating? So we've been working with uh, people who have PTSD, everyone from veterans um, to survivors of sexual assault to trauma from any other cause. And so far, has there been any cures or or healing for these people? We've seen incredible results so far. In our first study, 83% of the 
of the people who went through the study no longer qualified for post-traumatic stress disorder. And the people, to put this into perspective, the people who are participating in these studies have what's called chronic treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So that means that they've tried other types of treatments and that those treatments have not worked for these people. Some of these people have been suffering from PTSD for uh, almost 20 years and everything else that they've tried hasn't worked. And after going through this treatment, which is three different um, sessions with the MDMA, so only three times do they take the MDMA surrounded by, I think it's 12 sessions of psychotherapy, then they no longer qualify for having PTSD. I personally have no experience with MDMA, only with uh, ayahuasca, where where the healing works in the way where you are shown negative behavior or you're shown what's happened to you and you can go through it and find uh, that, uh, you know, you can solve the problem and you can heal that way. But MDMA is not so visionary, if I understand correctly. So how does it work? Right. So... What we found with MDMA is it's um, what we call an entheogen. Um, so it has qualities of being um, heart opening or um, helping people feel more connected to other people. And we found, find that that happens because of the hormones that the MDMA signals the release of in the brain. So hormones and chemicals that initiate a feeling of being more connected to others and more connected to yourself. So with PTSD, a lot of people um, kind of put up barriers and walls um, that they're unable to get past without a little extra help. The MDMA kind of helps break down those walls and helps people look at their trauma from a safe place so that they can then move through it and beyond it. Um, The MDMA also decreases the activity in the area of the brain um, called the amygdala, which is often associated with the fear response. So it decreases fear, increases cognitive processing, and allows people to kind of observe what happened to them without um, feeling endangered by looking at those memories. So so they are you know, encouraged to think about their trauma while they're taking the MDMA. Yes. Yeah. The purpose of them going through this therapy is to heal their trauma that they've experienced. But when you, when the effect has gone away, like the next day, does, you know, what makes those walls not come back up? Well, um, there's some theories um, in looking at post-traumatic stress disorder, that the reason people are suffering is because this event was so traumatic that they are not able to effectively process what happened. And so you kind of get stuck in this loop um, and you're not able to move past that. So by with the MDMA sessions and being able to kind of observe their trauma, move past their trauma, then they're not stuck in that loop anymore. They kind of are able to step outside of that um, and then continue that healing process. So they're not um, stuck in the same place anymore. They can kind of look back at that from a new place and continue to move forward. So you say you're finished with phase two and then you go into phase three and after that's finished, what, what's, what happens then? Sure, so when we finish phase three... 
Um, we will then submit an application to the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S., to have MDMA-assisted psychotherapy available as a prescription treatment for PTSD. And do you think there's a chance they will say yes? I do. I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that 83% of people no longer qualified as having post-traumatic stress disorder when PTSD is one of, I think, the biggest psychological issues we face here in America. But what about the lobbyists for the, the, the big pharma companies? Um, if, if this is successful, they, they're going to lose a lot of money. Are they doing something? Um, at this point, we haven't run into much trouble, and they really can't do much about the FDA approving a medication um, in terms of the legislation. The FDA is kind of separate from that. Um, so we may see some pushback from that in the future, uh, but right now it looks very promising. The, the people that we've been working um with at the FDA, who've been, you know, the people we've been liaising on through the process, you know, they seem, um, you know, impressed by the numbers that we're producing um, with these studies. So it's an intriguing concept. It's a new approach to treating people. And I really do think that if your main focus is healing, then you really need to take a look at what we're doing here. Because if you want to heal a lot of people, this is one way to do it. And it will be pretty cheap also because there's no patent, right? Yeah, so there's no patent. Um, <clears throat> so we'll be able to produce the medication at hopefully an affordable cost. The main cost of the treatment will be the time of the therapist that you're working with. What, what drug do people are, are people given now for this PTSD problem? So right now there's only two um, drugs that are approved for PTSD, and that's Zoloft and Paxil, so SSRIs. And what are those basically? Are they like morphine or heroin or what type? You know? No, so those are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and what those do is they affect their mood stabilizers. Um, so they affect the amount of serotonin that the brain is processing at one time um, to hopefully help elevate the mood of, of someone. Um, but they don't address the root cause of the trauma. They're only addressing a handful of the symptoms. And a lot of people are frustrated and feel that they don't adequately address even the symptoms of their PTSD. So those are the main two um, that are approved right now for PTSD, but people who are suffering from PTSD also take medication for insomnia, maybe also for bipolar, antipsychotic medications, a whole host of medications that they're prescribed um, that only address the symptoms. Yeah, so they just keep it at bay, they don't cure it. Exactly, yeah. So why have you decided to focus on MDMA and not any of the other uh, entheogens or psychedelics? Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of promise with MDMA, especially for this application. Um, MDMA is, I believe, the third most widely used illicit sub substance in the world, according to the World Health Organization. 
So there's a lot of people using MDMA in the world right now. Um, and we don't know a lot of information about it. So not only are we looking at the effectiveness of MDMA, we're also looking at safety information. So I think one, it's important to look at the safety information for this drug. And that's one reason why we're doing MDMA right now. Um, we also see that <clears throat> unlike some of the more classic psychedelics like mushrooms um, and psilocybin or LSD, it doesn't have quite the same mind-altering effect. Um, so while it does still have the qualities of um, feeling more open and feeling more connected, so especially dealing with someone who's experienced a severe trauma um, and someone who's not experienced with mind-altering substances, this is kind of a more gentle um, experience that they go through. It's very loving um, and it can a lot of times feel very, very safe. Um, so that's, I think, especially important for someone um, who's experienced trauma. So instead of uh, a substance that can be a little more unpredictable, um, especially in a time when these substances are very, very highly regulated and very, very limited in the scope of the research that's able to happen. Yeah, and it might be easier to get MDMA legal, and then after that you can make other things legal rather than the other way around. Yeah, we're hoping that this will kind of open the doors to other psychedelic research. But what about uh, cannabis? Have you done research with that as well? Well, believe it or not, cannabis is actually harder to study than a lot of other Schedule One substances um, because there in the past have been two additional barriers that you have to go through um, to get the research approved. Um, so one of those was eliminated this past summer, the Public Health Services um, Protocol Review. That was eliminated, eliminated which was a huge um, help. Um, and then the other is the DEA-enforced monopoly of NIDA producing marijuana for study drugs. So in the U.S., we only have one source of marijuana to use for studies. Um, and that's from NIDA. And the quality is not what we desire for studies. So MAPS is, does have a study that's about to begin enrolling that's for smoked marijuana for symptom control of PTSD in 76 veterans. Um, and it has taken us years to go through the process of getting this study approved. It took three years alone for the public health services to approve our study because we started trying to go through this approval process before the PHS was eliminated. And we had months and months of back and forth with NIDA because they were unable to produce the quality of strain that we wanted for our study. Um, we wanted a 12% THC 12% CBD strain, and they weren't able to give us that. So we have to use a 9% 9% blend instead. Um, and they wouldn't produce anything over 12. And initially, we were hoping to get something around 20%. Um, so we've hit a lot of road bumps. But fortunately, that study looks like 
um, there's just a couple last hurdles to get over before we're ready to enroll. But it's really challenging the fact that, you know, marijuana, one of, you know, something that's le medically legal in 34 states in the U.S. and recreationally legal for adult use in four states and Washington, D.C., we're not able to study the safety or the effectiveness of it in research. What about when you make the oil from, from cannabis to, to cure cancer, which has been going quite virally on, online for the last few years? Uh, uh, do you know anything about that? Um, so I do know that there have been some great results with different applications um, of the CBD oil. For, um, especially for cancer patients. Um, I don't know the status, though, if that's been done through clinical trials or if that's just from people doing that and using it. Um, I'm not as familiar with, with the status of that. So does MAPS also do studies, you know, like surveys kind of studies? Um, so we have done some what we call observational studies, um, so we have one, for example, that's upcoming with ayahuasca for PTSD treatment. Um, and that will just be an observational study. So it's not a, a clinical trial. And the clinical trials are part of the stage to get a medicine approved for a prescription. Um, an observational study is just looking at the effects. Um, Do you... If you would ever get approved to do a clinical ayahuasca study, to get FDA approved, do you, do you somehow have to prove how it heals you? Or, or is it enough that people are healed? Um, I'm not sure if we necessarily have to. Um, but one of the things that is talked about a lot is called the mechanism of action. So when earlier with MDMA, we were talking about how MDMA reduces activity in the amygdala and increases activity in the processing center of the brain. Um, that's the mechanism of action for MDMA. Um, I don't know if we have a definition for the mechanism of action for ayahuasca yet. Um, so that would probably be something that was looked at through um, that research with ayahuasca, but I don't know if it's necessary to know that ahead of time. Yeah, because I imagine it, it's more difficult with ayahuasca because it's it, there's some uh, esoteric magic going on when when <laughs> so it's hard to explain. Yeah, the other challenging thing with ayahuasca is that it's botanical. So in order to go to stage uh, phase three of the clinical trials, you would have to use the exact strain or the exact um, plant that you would use as the prescription. So that's part of the trouble we're running into with marijuana is that in order to do phase three research for marijuana, we would have to have the exact strain that we would want to use to have approved as a federal prescription. I see. So it means like no matter where you buy this cannabis, it has to be exactly the same. Exactly. And that because we have to show that that research is done for that exact strain. Because otherwise we can't say, oh, this one that has all these different profile works exactly the same. Mm -hmm. We would have to study the other profile of the plant. So let's say, for example, that we had 
a strain of marijuana that was 5% THC and 15% CBD. And we study that and we go through and we get to phase three, we have it approved as a prescription treatment. Then I can't say that something that's 15% THC and only 5% CBD is going to have the same effect on a person. So only the one the one that we had actually studied would be able to be available as a prescription treatment for people. So I think we would run into the same barriers with ayahuasca. It would have to be the exact plant that would be produced and sold as the prescription treatment. How big is MAPS? I mean, I, mean, I, know, I know it started in very humble ways uh, maybe you can tell about that but how is it now does it have like employees and scientists working for it or yeah so maps was founded in 1986 so this year is our 30th anniversary which is very very exciting um, we've grown a lot over the last 30 years it started off just a handful of people with a single one-page newsletter and 30 years later we have over 25 employees we have currently six phase two FDA-approved clinical trials that are ongoing. We have a few studies that have already been completed and those results published. And you know, approaching our 30th anniversary in April of this year, we're, we're seeing support from all around the world. We really truly are an international organization um, and that's highlighted by the fact that we're doing something called the Global Psychedelic Dinners as a celebration of 30 years of MAPS research. And for these Global Psychedelic Dinners, we're asking people from all over the world to gather their communities um, and share the you know, experiences that psychedelics have brought to people, the healing potential, the growth potential, um, and we're asking people to help raise funds to help MAPS purchase the kilogram of MDMA that we need to conduct these phase three trials. Um, and already we've had almost 100 people from 15 different countries sign up and say, I want to host one of these dinners, which is just incredible to have that kind of response. Um, supporting MAPS from all over the world. And how, how is MAPS funded? Is it just donations? Yes. So we don't receive uh, federal funding from the United States government. All of the research is supported by individual donations from people and from family foundations. Um, finally, after... 28 years of existence, MAPS received its first public funding from the state of Colorado. And the state of Colorado gave us $2 million to do this marijuana study that we've been talking about. Are there no, uh, like, celebrities that have given, I mean, just a million dollars for them is nothing, but for MAPS it would be a lot, you know. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have um, people who have been MAPS supporters um, include maps in their will um, and give us bequests. Um, so that's where a lot of our funding has come from. Um, 
it is controversial though and a lot of people will kind of view it as you know a, a risky investment but the times are changing and we're receiving more and more support from more and more people and the climate around the work that we're doing is starting to shift um, and it's becoming more and more put out into the kind of mainstream um, consciousness. Yeah, there is some sort of psychedelic revival in the world and I imagine it must be due to the fact that too many people have received help, so it can't be denied anymore. You can't just say that you want to fly and jump off a building anymore. I mean, it's there's too many positive stories, you know. Right, and I mean, part of the issue is if you look at MDMA, in 1985, the DEA put MDMA into Schedule 1, Um the judge who was reviewing the case to see if MDMA would be put as a Schedule 3 substance, a Schedule 2, Schedule 1, recommended that it be put as Schedule 3, which means that it has a reduced abuse profile and that it has medical and therapeutic benefits. Placing it into Schedule 1, which the DEA did against this recommendation, means that there's no benefit no medical benefit, and it has an extremely high abuse rate. So seeing, and they wouldn't let any research happen to support that because what they claimed was that any existing research, which was mostly observational back in 1985, uh, did not support effectively enough that it had medical benefit when we showed you know, testimony from people who had worked as therapists and healed lots of people using, using the substance. But that wasn't done under rigorous scientific procedures. And then the research wasn't allowed to happen for about 20 years. So now that we're finally able to do this research again, we're looking at the safety, we're looking at the effectiveness, and we're finding that it is safe if you take the appropriate precautions to using a substance like this. And it is effective, again, if you take the appropriate approach. Yeah, no, in, in, uh, in Sweden, for instance, um, psychedelic mushrooms were legal, always been legal, but then in the 80s or 90s sometime, there was a guy who took them and then he decided to walk down the street naked. And after that after that happened, they made it illegal. But the, the irony and the funny thing with this is that uh, if those judges and lawyers would have taken psychedelics, they would have understood that there's nothing wrong with being naked, you know, <laughs> like, so it wasn't... It it wasn't something dangerous, but I guess it's because it's a sign of like if you know if you have a mind that's very free or with no boundaries, I guess it's very scary to the the people who are in charge. Um, I always had this interest or fantasy that they should make a study with blind people and give them a very visionary psychedelic and and people who have been blind from birth and people who have been blinded in their life and uh, I've always wondered what they would see if anything, especially those who were born blind. Do you know if there's ever been any studies like this? 
So I don't think that there have been studies, but I do remember seeing a conversation about this um, on, are you familiar with Reddit? Yeah. So there was a, a, an Ask Me Anything session that was done by someone who's blind, and they took LSD. Um, and so they answer a lot of those kind of questions of like, what do you see and what do you experience um, in, that, in that thread? So there's definitely people who are blind or have heavily impaired vision that do take these substances. But as far as I know, there's no structured research around um, people who have that condition using these substances. Is it very strict? Like people who, when you work for maps, do you have to be completely straight? Uh, I mean, you, you can't have, you know, you can't take MDMA yourself on the weekend because, you know, like, is it strict rules when you're working for maps? Um, we don't have, um, it's not like I get drug tested every week or anything like that by any means. Um, but having this research approved and having this be, you know, a valid source of information is something that's really important to me and it's really important to the staff. So we definitely do everything that we can to ensure that um, not, none of our actions impede the process of the research. What's the, you know, most charities, I guess you could say MAPS is a sort of charity in a way, but they all always have a vision, like no starving children in Africa or something. What, what's MAPS' vision? So our vision is a world where psychedelics and marijuana are safely and legally available for beneficial uses and a world where research is governed by rigorous scientific evaluation of the risks and benefits of those substances. Do you think there ever, ever will be like, you know, a retest of, of many of those drugs that are FDA approved that are quite harmful, like, you know, to make those illegal instead? You know? <laughs> that would be something. Um, I don't know if that will necessarily happen. But what I would like to see happen is MDMA therapy available for people to choose as a treatment option. And then hopefully from that just being the case, we'll see a decrease in the use of these other substances, a decrease in the side effects that affect a huge portion of the population that do take them. What other plans in the future does MAPS have except for these you've talked about? Um, so part of the the process of making this treatment available is training therapists. So we're developing a therapist training program that will help to train hundreds if not thousands of therapists to be able to administer MDMA-assisted psychotherapy to persons who are suffering from trauma. Um, so we're developing what that training looks like right now and working on training the people who will be working with us for phase three, which we plan on beginning enrolling for those studies in early 2017. Um, so we're working on building that training program right now um, and just making sure that it is an effective way for people to learn the risks, the benefits, and how best to administer this treatment 
when would you predict that somebody with PTSD can can go to his doctor and and get this treatment? We're hoping for FDA approval in 2021. So a little over five years. And when did you start working on this? MAPS was founded in 1986. We were able to do our first studies in humans in 2001. And for the last 15 years, we've been developing the protocol and conducting studies to get us to the point where we are now ready to wrap up phase two and start phase three, which is the real um, indicator of whether or not we'll receive approval from the FDA. So it's been like 40 years by that time, by the time it will be approved. Yeah, uh, so in about 35 years um, of very, very hard work, hopefully MDMA-assisted psychotherapy will be a prescription treatment that's available for people. And then after that, it probably go faster. I mean, it will be a, become a snowball, hopefully. Hopefully, that's what we're hoping for. But have you have had any criticism from, or have you been left completely alone to do your thing? Not completely alone. There's definitely been barriers. It's been challenging to get the studies approved by these organizations. Um, it's been challenging to get the support. Um, but... Uh, you know, as I said earlier, it's hard to ignore the results. So once we were able to do the research and once we were able to produce results, it's gotten a little bit easier and a little bit easier. So hopefully that process continues, you know, when we get this end of phase two data in and we get to show the world, look at these results continue and they're good against other populations. But it's still like, it's not a topic, you know, there's a presidential election this year, but there's no, nothing they talk about. Uh, yeah, no, it's not, it's not something that has come to the forefront of that yet. Um, but we are definitely seeing an increase in the number of mentions in the media of this kind of therapy, uh, just over the last five years, even, you know, it used to be a huge deal if we got into, you know, if we were featured in the New York Times, and now it seems like it happens about every six months or so. So it's definitely, we're definitely being featured in more and more prominent uh, media outlets and more and more often. But you have a, an important job in MAPS, and uh, how, did you, how did you end up there? Like, what was your journey to this point? Sure. I started volunteering, um, and... I happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right skills for what MAPS needed. Um, I have experience with kind of operations-minded work. Um, and so after volunteering for a few months, I applied for an open position, which I ended up getting. And then I worked for a little over a year as um an operations associate. So just kind of taking care of being the backbone or the glue that kind of held everything together. Um, and then a need became apparent for Rick to have an, um, being the right fit to step into that role. Um, so I'm very, very excited to be in the position that I am in now. Um, and happy to be acting as an ambassador for MAPS um, in addition to supporting the work that we're doing. 
but why did you uh, volunteer with maps from the beginning did you just find out about it and and liked it or have you been healed yourself from something um i've always in my life wanted to do something that was good and something that helped other people heal so I learned about maps a couple of years before I started volunteering. And then I ended up moving to Santa Cruz, California, where the maps office is located. Um, and so then I just kind of found my way to the same place that maps was and was able to become involved in there. Um, and I have definitely experienced healing from um, psychedelics and from seeing other people's experiences with these substances is really what draws me to the work that we're doing. You know, they, they often say that people who have schizophrenia should not take psychedelics because it can make it worse. But, um, you know, I'm not convinced, but <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so I'm not a medical doctor. Um, so... I'm not quite sure of all that goes into that, but I do know that a lot of times persons who have uh, personality disorders, especially dissociative personality disorders, can have a bit of a harder time um, with psychedelics. And we haven't been able to do enough research to understand why that is. Um, and we don't have enough information readily available to understand the best way to work with people who end up having negative experiences because of underlying um, psychological personality disorders. Yeah, because I, I have this thought that, you know, we treat people who are schizophrenic in a certain way in our society, but in, in, in indigenous cultures, they're often like shamanic or shamans. And so maybe... It's not that the fact that the psychedelics are a problem for them. It, it's maybe how we treat them, and then and then the psychedelics just add to that. Maybe that's that, that's my thinking anyway on that. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we talk a lot about the set and the setting in terms of use of psychedelics. So both the physical surroundings of where you are, but also the internal setting of where you are mentally and psychologically. So if you're in an unstable place psychologically, and then you take these very powerful substances that has a tendency to be amplified. And if you don't have someone who's there to help root and ground you, who's very knowledgeable um, in set and setting and how to navigate that relationship with the psychedelics, it can be a high risk situation. So one of the things MAPS is trying to do is um, promote harm reduction. So educating people about the risks and the benefits and how to best mitigate those risks and how best to make sure that you receive benefit from using these substances. So if people want to, to help MAPS, either uh, with like donations or if they want to help uh, by... Um you know, being part of a survey or something, how, what can they do or where do they go? Sure. So right now, uh, going to psychedelicdinners.org and signing up to host a dinner in your community. 
is a great way to connect with other people who are interested in just having a dialogue about the potential benefits of psychedelics. Um, going to maps.org slash donate and helping contribute to funding this research. And then to get involved, um, the Zendo project goes to different festivals all over the world. Um, Burning Man in the U.S. is one of the biggest ones, and they provide harm reduction services and psychological support services for people who are either having a challenging psychedelic experience or just a challenging psychological experience at, a, at a, an event like that. Um, so if you want to get involved and volunteer, that's a great way to gain experience working with people in non-ordinary states of consciousness, if perhaps becoming a therapist who works with these substances is something that you're interested in doing. Cool. I will also post some of those links in the program notes. Do, do you have one, you have like a Twitter or something yourself that you want to advertise? Yep. Maps, Maps Twitter is at Maps, which we're very excited about. Um, and then my personal is at Mareta underscore Maps. And that's spelled M-E-R-E-T-E underscore Maps. So you can follow me. Definitely follow Maps. Find us on Facebook as well. Cool. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to get to talk about maps and the work that we're doing. You asked some fantastic questions. Go to maps.org to find out more. You can also host your own global psychedelic dinner. Surf over to psychedelicdinners.org for more information on how to do that. Also follow Merete on Twitter. Her handle is Merete underscore maps. And now we will listen to a song called The Illusion is Real by Nameless Archive from the album Mayatastic. Go to namelessarchive.com if you like what you hear. And you will also find all the links I mentioned in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com and don't forget to like the Facebook page and follow the podcast on Twitter. And the handle is Born Alchemist. Freedom is in the mind. Yes. Mm-hmm.